This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's uh, January 16th, Monday. Thanks for joining us. Martin Luther King Day, our uh, American neighbors, of course, and people around the world observing that. Also, Blue Monday. Blue Monday. Yeah, the saddest day of the year, apparently. You, you just blazed right through the Martin Luther King Day mention to get to Blue Sorry. Monday? <laughs> My bad. Did, did, did you want to Continue maybe take right. a, Yeah, let's, let's take a quick second to recognize Martin Luther Doc, the good doctor. And uh, yeah, of course, people around the world are going to be taking a look at that. Like I said, I saw a tweet this morning where somebody said uh, Martin Luther King did not deliver the I have a plan speech. Uh, yeah. He delivered the I have a dream speech. Yeah. Uh, talking about how change makers are driven by dreams. Dreams and uh, and faith and visions on what a world can look like. And I thought that that was pretty powerful stuff. And it is Blue Monday, too, which is uh, good news that we've got registered psychologist Ashley Wanamaker, who's going to join us in about a half hour's time. Looking forward to that conversation. She describes herself as an accidental TikTok therapist. And so we'll have to see what that Accidental. means. I think she maybe sort of like um, maybe sort of accidentally became somebody that has like 50,000 followers and some of her videos get like hundreds of thousands of views. But she's very matter of fact in her her takes on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things like what gaslighting are. That's a video that I just watched. And she wants to talk to us about we figured two weeks in to 2023. This was a good time to evaluate how people are doing with New Year's resolutions. And she's an expert in setting. We're both we're both laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's an expert in setting in how to set meaningful goals. And so she promises that she's going to give us some great tools and tricks. Plus, of course, Charles Adler coming up in about five minutes. So I, I have a confession to make. Why did you chuckle, though, when, when we talked about New Year's resolutions? Well, just because, uh, well, I, I didn't stop mine, but I made a change. Okay. So the going to the gym early in the morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> was not working out. No. Number one, I was coming in here like 25, 30 minutes late. Yeah, Number not great. two... It's just, I I just can't do it, you know? So I like to work out in the afternoon or evenings. I used to like to work out in the morning. So I went over to the local, uh, don't don't scold me, Walmart, and picked up all the uh, fitness stuff that is now on sale because everyone bought it the first week. Oh, you mean like like weights and elastics and all so that kind of stuff? So I bought some adjustable free weights. I bought a bench. I bought some uh, matting for the floor, bought a pull-up. Uh, station and also for my wife too she does, doesn't want to get up and go to the gym and, and there's not a gym right near we are in Yager yeah. Ridge uh, that isn't packed from everyone going so now we've got a little home gym in Good our for you, spare man. room at home so Good for you. made a slight change but but still on track yeah, yeah how about you well I've been doing my purge and uh, yeah. been, been doing the uh, minimalism game and uh, a couple people I was in Jasper over the weekend had a wonderful weekend out in Jasper going to tell you all about it on Wednesday in my Jasper memories I'll show some videos and and some photos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of people in Jasper were quite right in pointing out that they, they said, we haven't seen like a post lately. I was posting on Instagram and Twitter on my personal accounts at Ryan Jesperson, um, you know, things I was purging, you know, one item on the first of the month, two items on the second and so on. They said, we haven't seen any for a few days. Now, the fact of the matter is I'm working on a master purge, um, but, but it is time that I do reveal some of the things that I'm getting rid of. The whole point of this is accountability. 
And so today I will vow that I will catch up on that. So <laughs> you you can do it where you'll say, I mean, like people have reasonable things like you're gone for the weekend. You're not at home. You're not going to be posting every day. You don't have to be perfect. But on the 13th, the 14th and the 15th of the month, mm-hmm. what is that? Like 27, 32, 42 items I owe. So even just over the weekend, I owe 42 items. Just make it an even 50 today. I'll make it, I think, I, I think this, I've got to catch up on like 100. This so. box of 50 screws. <laughs> what, what about the shirt uh, that you wore on Friday? You said you were going to get rid of that. Yeah, I did. Did yeah, that happen? I did. Well, it's yeah, it's in my. So I've got a, I've got a, a collection. Like I've got a big box going that goes to the Goodwill. So mm-hmm. um, the Goodwill drop off the donation centers right by where I play hockey every week. So I figure once a week through this month I'll drop off a box mm-hmm. or a big bag, and it, it did go in. Yeah, the shirt that I wore on on Friday's I like show that is shirt. I, it's a great shirt. People go back and it look at Friday's show. Yeah, it's check a out. flower <laughs> shirt. I loved it. Yeah, it is a great shirt, and it was always a shirt that I got compliments on when I wore it. So then that made me probably wear it longer than I should have but it just wasn't uh Ah, it just wasn't fitting right anymore. It just wasn't feeling uh, good anymore. So, so I had to, I had to get, <laughs> I had to get one last wear in, and so that was on Friday's show. That was a great roundtable on Friday. The Amazing Ed, the Edifier Award winners, yeah. um, three people that were honored and recognized in Edify Magazine. You can check it out at edifyedmonton.com and. Um, I mean, you don't have to be from Edmonton to appreciate uh, advice and insights from people that are, uh, quite frankly, big achievers in their field. And so we talked to to three individuals that are really doing remarkable things, but asked them questions that that I think, you know, people are interested in. What's mm-hmm. the biggest hurdle you ever overcame? What's the best piece of advice you ever got? Uh, and I love those types of conversations. It was a nice way to wrap up the week when there's a lot of heavy news. You know what I mean? We got comments coming in that people love the shirt. They, oh, they, gee. Well, now I'm going to see. No, but this is the problem because now I'm going to go. I, I better not read the live uh, chat because I'm going to be convinced to pull the shirt back out of the <laughs> back out of the donation bin. See, this is what I do. <laughs> This is how people end up hanging on to a ton of things that they don't need. Maybe I will want to wear it again. Well, exactly. You know what's going to happen is I'm going to donate it. Mm-hmm. And then like two months from now, someone's going to say, uh, we, we'd like you to attend this uh, party that we're throwing. Um, the only thing is you've got to wear like a, a really colorful floral print shirt. And I'm going to go, oh, geez. You're going to see the some exact s- one that I had. Some strapping young lad wearing it out at the bar. You're going to like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly oh geez well yeah it is a very recognizable shirt whoever picks it up at the goodwill is yeah. gonna we're gonna we're gonna know it we're gonna see it um we've also got a great uh, a bit of video coming up in uh positive reflections today as a matter of fact an, an, an acceptance speech we're gonna bring you uh a portion of an acceptance speech that that moved me this i, I don't know if i want to spoil it yet or not don't, but, but don't it's okay so good. i won't i won't but this this individual who we're gonna show has his personal life, his professional career has had its ups and downs, to say the very least, and we love a good comeback story, and so we'll get to that in Positive Reflections. Uh, Charles Adler coming up in just mm-hmm. a second, but before we get to Adler, I want, I want to remind you about the conversations we have and, and how they happen. They happen because of sponsors that are, are committed to real talk. To having those conversations that push us toward excellence, that that, that that educate us, that allow us to deepen our understandings of issues like Athabasca University, Canada's open university. Take your education to the next level. Athabasca University is Canada's anyone, anywhere, anytime 
Open University for Advanced Learning, and AU is sure to have something that meets your needs, meets your ambition, and fits your lifestyle. You can get a Canadian education online with Athabasca U, no matter where you live. The experience different from other universities by design. They're more accessible, more flexible, more equitable, and more personalized for everyone. Your journey with Athabasca University could start literally today by visiting them online at AthabascaU.ca. Now, I was able to uh, spend some time, some quality time. It was me and Moses, our boxer, ah. in Jasper over the weekend. And man, oh man, do we love walks around Lac Beauvais. And of course, he's so just sniffing. He. He, can, he, he can, he's like, he can tell that there's elk all around him, right? He's trying to find the elk. Boy, oh boy, do we ever love our dogs, right? We would do anything for our pets, including feeding them the most quality food we can find on the market. We feed our dogs Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food i want to draw your attention to their website granddog.ca whether you're a dog lover a cat lover or both check out their blog for some new posts including high quality protein for dogs and cats what is it and why is this a conversation that matters grand dog essentials delivers quality raw food to your door if you live in calgary edmonton or central alberta you can join their mailing list and the promo code Real Talk knocks 10% off your first order at granddog.ca. At Friesen Brothers, we want to remind you, I know it feels like it's it's a ways away, but I want you to circle your calendar for the first of the month. The first of February is your next chance to knock 15% off your grocery bill. That's a huge deal. 15% off purchases of $75 or more the first of every month at Friesen Brothers. Don't forget, they're in 16 different Alberta communities, Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. You can learn more about Friesen Brothers, including recipe inspiration at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Hey, speaking of high grocery prices, you know, people are right now, I think, you know, with inflation and everything else, it's it's uh, really for a lot of folks become the story mm-hmm. of 2022 into 2023. Uh, wanted to let real talkers know that we're going to be checking in with the food professor. That's how he's billed himself. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is going to mm-hmm. join us on Wednesday's show. Uh, there was that big story. And, you know, they're a competitor to Friesen Brothers. You know, Loblaw was just getting absolutely crucified. Bob Gale- Loblaw. Pe- Bob Loblaw's Loblog. <laughs> People were going at Galen Weston, the chairman of, of uh, Loblaw, over last week after a reporter in Ontario posted a photo of $37 chicken breasts and people are going what the hell is going on right here uh so we thought this was a really good one when it comes to accusations around price gouging and really taking advantage of consumers mm-hmm. uh dr charlebois has done a really good job of sort of sifting through that and, and focusing the conversation where it needs to go so make sure you circle wednesday on your calendar uh for some real talk on that Charles Adler, the Titan of Talk, Emmy Award-winning host, RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award winner, joins us every Monday. It's one of our favorite traditions here on the show. We get to find out how his weekend was. What happened to your uh, Real Talk mug there? It looks like you got chocolate sauce all over it. Yeah, no, it's... um... (laughs) (laughs) You going with a mocha this morning, my man? Yeah. you caught me in pig pen mode this morning. <laughs> I know it's it's not a national holiday in Canada, but I, you know, I honor the holiday, and I guess I'm in a holiday holiday spirit. I'm thinking about uh, Dr. King and and what he did for for so many of us. And uh, I guess I spilled some uh, I spilled on my uh, my coffee here. I'll just hold up this. The Diet Coke can is still uh, still pristine. I was uh, I've always got to ask this question because 
you know, I'm a radio hound, uh, audio hound. How's the, um, oh, how's it's the always audio? good. We'll never let you on the air if it sucks. Okay. So, okay, yeah, so John, Johnny, make sure that you're sounding perfect and I, ready to go. My, I was I've telling my you- headphones so low, so I don't hear because it, it, as, as, because we've got so many people who are professionals and would be professionals you know, listening to this uh, podcast all over the, the world. Uh, the reason I, I can't tell is because I don't have my headphones up loud because if I have my headphones up loud, I start speaking like, hey, hi, Ryan. Yeah. My authoritative, you know, I don't want to get into what I used to call, what we used to call Ron Radio. So that, that's why I don't have the headphones. Hey, I was talking to somebody a while ago. This was, uh, this was uh, uh, what do I say? Like a, a fledgling sounds to me to be like almost insulting. I don't want to I say it was a fledgling broadcaster, but somebody in the very, very early stages of their career. And they were talking about radio and podcasting. And, and they said, I don't know if I have a really great broadcasting voice. <laughs> and I said, you know what? And I'd be curious to pick your brain on this because you did have that. You know, I mean, you have it's current, it's present tense, but you have this like velvety voice that always went, went a long way, obviously in your career. And, and, and people will stay tuned into shows longer where the sound of the voice is appealing. <laughs> right. But I said yeah. to this young person, I said, I don't, I think, I think that it's changing in the sense of like talk radio and broadcasting no, no longer has the people doing the big performative voice. It seems to be more real, more sincere, more more sort of like legitimately. This is the voice that God gave me. Type idea. Yeah, the problem is that so many of the people uh, who got into the business, uh, people I call voices with feet, you know, they've they've got the great voices, but there's it's not attached to anything. You know, it's not attached to a great value system. It's not attached to a great mind. It's not attached to anything that that's compelling. So that kind of ruined it uh, for the uh, sort of great radio voice. If if you've got a voice and a mind and it's attached, like like Ryan Jesperson, God bless you, and, and there's no question about it, it's an advantage. But the idea that it's only about the voice, it's never been true. Yeah. And it's certainly not true anymore. Unfortunately, here's the other the si- other side of this. There are some people who think that a person who has absolutely no uh, radio voice and doesn't have uh, elocution, diction, all those things that involve being able to pronounce things properly so that everyone understands them. It's not about having a mellifluous, velvety voice. This is about speaking in a way that people understand what you're saying. If that's what you have, that's called a problem. Mm. So there's there's this awful term out there. Uh, Kenny got into trouble uh, with it uh, a while ago. He talked about people having unaccented English, right? And this was seen as an attack on culture, on multiculturalism. I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I, I want to dispense with that trash. This isn't about having an accent or not having an accent, because the accent is irrelevant. What is not irrelevant is being able to pronounce things in such a way so that. Almost everybody listening, regardless of what culture they may come from, can hear you. And unfortunately, broadcasting today uh, in the effort to be quote, natural and original and authentic and whatever does have many people on the air, television and radio and podcasting that, in my opinion, and maybe I'm a little too traditional here, Ryan, I, I put all my, my biases in the shop window okay uh in in my opinion many of them are not uh, meticulous about having the kind of enunciation that makes it understandable if you don't care enough about me as a listener as a listener and a viewer as a consumer what you're saying if you don't care enough about me to be able to pronounce words in a way that i can understand them i'm sorry that's amateur 
That's not professional. It's not authentic. It's it's not it's not anything that I would be proud of. Over the weekend, uh, Russian attacks on civilian targets in Ukraine have drawn the uh, ire and the condemnation of the international community, including Sweden, which currently holds the European Union presidency, uh, calling the attack on on uh, civilian targets in Dnipro, the city of Dnipro, that left more than 30 civilians dead, uh, war crimes. And I know that this is something that you spoke out against strongly in particular. I saw uh, on your Twitter at Charles Adler, you linked to the New York Times speech, which I thought was really good uh, as Russians steal Ukraine's art. Uh, they attack its identity, too. Uh, I don't know what there is to say, Charles, about these images, these horrific images of, of rescue efforts and, and now being characterized as recovery efforts. Uh, this this apartment building blown to smithereens uh, parents. Uh, buried in the rubble with their children. Um, how does the international, what changes in a, in a war and a conflict like this, uh, you know, that, 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 that uh, obviously, you know, draws uh, the ire of the international community, but still with regards to involvement, nothing will change. So how do you wrap your mind around it? Well, you know, once again, at, at the risk of being called a, a warmonger, uh, and I've been called worse, uh, once again, another bias in the, in, the, in, the, in the shop window. The world should be in Ukraine. As many countries, including Canada, yes, including Canada, we should be there no different than we were involved in, in World War II. Uh, the, uh, the, Russia has become a terrorist organization, uh, no different than Al-Qaeda, Vladimir Putin is no different than bin Laden. Uh, he actually enjoys watching atrocities being committed. Uh, nobody on earth uh, believes, I don't care what the ideology is, nobody believes that you must kill men, women, children, uh, grandparents uh, in non-military, non-strategic areas like apartment buildings. Nobody believes that uh, that you need to steal a nation's art, try to, to rob it of its identity, uh, cut off its uh, water supply, cut off its power. Nobody believes that those are acts of war. Uh, those are war crimes. N nobody believes that Vladimir Putin is defending the people of Russia from the people of Ukraine. So since nobody believes that there's any legitimacy in this war, it would be most legitimate for the entire world to stand up to Russia. Standing up to Russia, standing up to Putin, doesn't mean making all sorts of declarations, what some people call virtue signaling. It means actually getting in his grill and defeating him the way we defeated the Nazi empire. Yeah, I, I just sort of, I look at this and, and you wonder what has to happen or you wonder what has to change or what will change or ultimately where this goes. And you've got a country, this, if you looked at a lot of the public commentary and a lot of the speculation from experts when Russia's aggression first began, I mean, when this war started, uh, the story was all about how Ukraine was bravely standing up to the Russians and look at civilians called into action. I mean, we sat down in this studio just last week, Charles, with, with two Edmontonians, uh, one of them just days away from heading over to Ukraine. She's going to be helping uh, teach combat care to uh, firefighters and police officers that 
were not firefighters and police officers a year ago. They were civilians. They had regular day jobs. And now they've been called into action and they're trying to train them up as quickly as possible. Well, this bravery, this standing up to Russia has now lasted more than a year. And uh, I, I know that if, you know, the average person and the purpose of my my questions to you, the average person sits here and wonders, well, where is this going from here now? I mean, you have to assume over the weekend this represents a change in this entire story. Hitler was not at war with Poland. Hitler was not at war with the United States, with the United Kingdom. Hitler was at war with democracy. Hitler was at war with humanity. Humanity responded, admittedly, much, much too late. We are also late here. But the most important principle that needs to be enunciated here is that Vladimir Putin is not at war with Ukraine. Ukraine is paying the heaviest price. But Vladimir Putin is at war with all of us. And until all of us begin to understand that, we won't be doing the right things. The right thing would be to militarily defeat Russia. The world needs to defeat Russia because the world needs to send a signal to history that never again, never again means never again. Mm -hmm. Not sometimes, not most of the time, never means never. I've been looking forward to talking to you. Uh, our conversation last Monday, an impromptu one, uh, sure lit a fire under a bunch of uh, Real Talk audience members who I, I suspect will expect us to circle back and, and talk about a, a story of the, out of the Alberta courts, uh, which we touched on, a woman who's lost two court challenges, an unvaccinated Albertan who was n bumped off of a wait list uh, for eligibility for an organ transplant. Uh, you and I shared our opinions on that, uh, shooting from the hip. Uh, quite frankly, it pissed off some people, uh, but it prompted some some great subsequent discussions on the show, Charles, including a great uh, chat with Professor Timothy Caulfield. I encourage people to check it out. Turns out he's been doing research on this exact thing uh, for the past few weeks. You've had a week to reflect on it, and I know that, that you were eager to have a chance to take it on again. Where's your head at a week after we had that chat? Well, uh, to sound like a politician, I misspoke. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will defer to Caulfield every single time. Sure. And I can, I can give you the reasons for misspeaking, but then I actually do sound like a politician. I was wrong. Huh. I apologize for being wrong. If all that had to happen here was for this person to get vaccinated to become eligible, I have no problem with that at all. I was wrong, and Dr. Caulfield was right. And I agree. I know there are all kinds of people uh, who, who say in, in the world of public relations, never, never apologize. I take the opposite uh, point of view. Uh, when I become aware of facts that I was not aware of, when the facts change, so does my opinion, and I don't apologize for that either. Yeah, Uh I, I think that never apologize is really bad advice. I also think that always apologize is really bad advice. And uh, and I can appreciate your your thoughtful response to that. Uh, I wanted to stick on a healthcare story because I noticed that you shared this uh, this this opinion piece. It was it was published. Uh, the editorial board, the Toronto Sun, pushed this out just yesterday. Uh, private healthcare reads the headline is a fact of life. 
Now, the jumping off point for the for the op-ed is Ontario's Premier Doug Ford has suggested that the province is, is looking to go to private health care providers to try to ease uh, some of the burden and cut down on the wait lists of people that are waiting for for surgeries, in particular minor surgeries. And, and I know because you tweeted about it that this opinion piece resonated with you. Any talk about private health care in Canada, you're kicking a hornet's nest. Uh, But but please don't approach too carefully. Where is your head at on this strategy with Premier Ford and the bigger conversation? As as you know, I'm not a big supporter of Premier Ford, so this has nothing to do with uh, Premier Ford, although I do think that uh, Pierre Polyev has a lot to learn from Premier Ford. And if uh, Pierre Polyev actually spent some time with, with, with Premier Ford, whether he did it uh, physically, intellectually, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, he probably would be doing a whole lot better in a province that that kind of matters. Uh, you know, the math says Ontario kind of kind of matters. All right, putting putting all of that aside, you know, Ryan, that uh, I come to a, a lot of opinions through personal experience and personal connection. You know, I'm connected to a woman in Montreal called my mother. Uh, nobody believes in public uh, health care uh, more than my mother. Uh, and yes, uh, she donates like a lot of us donate to hospitals. I don't want to get into, uh, you know, our, 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 you know, what we do charitably uh, publicly because th- th- that that becomes a whole different animal. And that's something my father never believed in. He, he believed in keeping, you know, what you give, keep, keeping it anonymous. And I want to respect him for that. So I will just I will just say this, that the public health care system was not taking care of my mother's basic need for an MRI for her kidney. Not doing it. Waiting list, waiting list, waiting list. It got to the point because they kept giving her meds, and the meds they gave her were, I have to say it, opioids. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was getting, A, addicted to the opioids and getting depressed to the point where she was on the phone to me asking me, Sorry. Uh, huh. Asking me to help her uh, uh, get on the, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, I have a hard time saying it. Asking me to help her to 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 die. Yes. Okay? Medical medically made, as they as they say. Anyway, that's what she was asking for. Huh. That got me off my ass. Yeah. And I did what any son, any daughter. Anyone who cares about anyone they love would do. I made some phone calls and I was able to get her an MRI. In fact, I was able to get her an MRI in the same building where she had a doctor with access to public care in the very, very same building. I don't want to bog down in the logistics. The point is in getting her an MRI, I got the information that we needed, and the information we needed was she had not one but two, two kidney stones. This woman in her 80s, two kidney stones. She is not alone. I wouldn't be talking about her if she only represented one file, not just one file. Many people are in the exact same position. And so I did whatever I could to have those kidney stones removed, and they were removed just a a few clicks from where she got her MRI. So all of this was done. in uh, for-profit care. Now, what happened for her cannot happen for everyone because not everyone has someone who can make the the quick connections, the quick contacts, 
and 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 roll out whatever it takes to to help save their mother. I want everybody to have access to quality care. Okay, and I have I have said publicly. I've said this before. I'll say this again. I will I will put my left hand on the Bible and raise my right hand and swear an oath to always be on the side of equal access to quality care for everyone. But at the moment, what I just described to you is reality in this country. This country is the Adler family's promised land, and I promise to do whatever it takes to get access to quality care for everyone, not just the sons of former successful talk show hosts, blah, 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 for everyone. Uh, For somebody watching this to say that I'm a hypocrite because I helped to save my mother's life, and yes, it did save my mother's life. It was a life and death situation. For anyone who says I'm a hypocrite for doing that, I'll no. I'll, I'll plead. I'll plead guilty to that. Uh, Charles, but, anybody in your situation would do absolutely yeah. anything they possibly could, but and I anybody am, who I'm, says I'm, they wouldn't I, is lying. But I'm trying to. I'm trying to level Ryan as I always do. I think, and if I'm wrong about that, please uh, uh, confront me. But I want to level with all of the possible criticism and all of the critics. I agree with those people who want equal access to quality care. Sure. But I disagree with the idea that we currently have that. We do not have that. And you cannot get better without getting out of denial. And I just think that I think this idea that the words for profit uh, need to stop the train is ridiculous. The the idea that profit stops opportunity, wrong. Uh, the idea that profit is a bad word, wrong. However, I want the card, whatever card we have in whichever province we're blessed to live in in this country, whatever that health card is called, I want that health card to be an insurance card to make sure that people like my mother get access without anyone else having to pay a single dollar. We pay enough in taxes to basically get that public health insurance. And by the way, that's what universal access means to me. It's not about some people are making profit, others aren't. I mean, have, have you, has anyone ever heard of Moderna? I think Moderna makes a profit. Uh, you know, Pfizer uh, makes a profit. All of the people who make stethoscopes, yes, the doctors who are private are also making a profit. Profit is not a terrible word, but dogma is a terrible word. Hmm. And dogmatically being attached uh, to Nobody in the system will make any profit when we know that lots of people are make you know, people are cleaning hospitals. There are private companies that are cleaning hospitals. There are private companies that are making burgers and donuts. They're making a profit. This idea of being anti-profit dogmatically is what to me is arresting the development of a system that gives everyone what Mrs. Adler got a few weeks ago. Well said, Chuck. Always appreciate your candor. It's always great to see your face. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you again next Monday. God bless you. It's the Titan of Talk. Charles Adler, just an absolutely wonderful friend of this show. Uh, I popped in into the live chat. I love uh, the engagement here this morning. People are people are like on it this morning. This is great. Uh, and uh, Erica says, I don't, I don't know why people act like there aren't private options already. My husband had a four-month wait for an MRI, didn't want to wait in pain, so he paid out of pocket and he had it the next day. That from Erica. I mean, I mean, there are, yeah, of course, there are many others. I mean, let alone like dentists and chiropractors. And I mean, we could, we could really get into it. 
uh, people that travel, like the, they call it the medical tourism, right? You want to go get surgery done. People will go down to Mexico, go down to Arizona. Uh, by the way, if you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message, it's free, obviously. Uh, it's, a, it's an email that goes out Sunday evening, kind of teeing up the week to come and uh, letting you know about some things, typically some exclusive mentions in there. You just go to ryanjesperson.com, scroll to the bottom of the page. You can subscribe. If you, if you got that in your inbox last night, you already know that on Thursday's show coming up, uh, we'll check in with Dr. Holly Geyer. She's an addictions specialist at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. Uh, she's got a new book out, uh, tackling the opioid crisis she says that she's got a solution and so i look forward to that coming up on thursday great to see dr bradley martin by the way in the chat as well a physician who joined us last week on the show to share his thoughts on that conversation that we were having uh, i love when 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 talks when subject matter extends beyond a specific show i mean last week we talked about that standard of staying on a wait list for organ transplantation in the, in the, in the context of it being, in the, in the relevance of it being uh, vaccine status, COVID vaccination status. And Dr. Martin was kind enough to give us his time and share his thoughts. I, I said it to his face when he was on the show. I love how measured he is, how rational he is. His empathy is so evident. You know, he's, he's talking about private health care this morning. He says, I think some of the radiology examples, like prompted by what Erica said, are valid. He says because they're privately owned machines, they're funded by the radiologists, and they're also used for public use. He says so that's a decent example of a private piece that doesn't get in the way of the public system. That uh, star op-ed quotes uh, Justice Beverly McLaughlin, uh, Chief Justice at the time, when she said, quote, in a ruling, uh, access to a waiting list. This was this was back in, in Quebec, Johnny, back in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a there was a ruling that went all the way up to the Supreme Court that challenged that essentially said that the prohibition against private health care in Quebec specifically violated the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And the Supreme Court agreed. And Justice Chief Justice McLaughlin at that point, by the way, out of Alberta, one mm-hmm. a legendary Albertan said, quote, access to a waiting list is not access to health care. Of course, the opposition politicians in Ontario are furious about this, right? Uh, Merritt Stiles, no, I'm laughing. Merritt Stiles was recently acclaimed as leader of the provinces of Ontario's new Democrats and, and tweeted, step one, deprive the healthcare system of resources until it's on the brink of collapse. And then step two, push people desperate for care toward private clinics. Said the Ontario new Democrat leader, we won't let him, Ford, get away with this. You can let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from people that have firsthand experience here. What did your family do? I mean, Erica just shared about her husband's MRI. Uh, What has your family had to do? Or what is your family considering? Or what's your scenario? Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can find us. Ashley Wanamaker, in just a second, registered psychologist, accidental TikTok therapist. That conversation with Charles was presented by our friends at Eden Landscaping, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. Today's a great day to get the ball rolling on bringing your outdoor space to life. You're like, man, it's the middle of January. Yeah. But if you wait until April or May, when the daffodils start popping up in early June to start the conversation about getting your landscaping project done guess what it's not going to be done in time for your canada day party it's why you got to get in touch with mike today to start talking about your vision show him your pinterest board show him the pages you've been ripping out of architectural digest 
He'll get your real property report. They'll start drawing up the blueprints. You don't have to hire anybody else. They are a one-stop, full-service shop. And then, of course, as soon as that ground thaws, they are into it. And before you know it, your home will have the outdoor oasis that you deserve. Eden Landscaping, a proud partner of Real Talk, and that's a two-way street. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. At Local Environmental Services, they're keeping it local in Alberta and Saskatchewan when it comes to garbage, recycling, fence rentals, water hauling. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to keep it local? Well, it means that the value system is different. Yeah, that's right. You can check out their core values in a feature video online at localenvironmental.ca. Learn more about their operations out of, out of Whitecourt, out of Edmonton, out of Regina, and understand what sets them apart. They guarantee if you contact them today, you're going to get a better deal. So whether it's a small business or a big business you're running, it makes sense to do business with local environmental services. And John, it's still January, which means it is still buy one, get get one one free free. at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. We're talking about boxes, six packs, we'll call them, of dilly bars and DQ sandwiches. They've got the dairy-free dilly bars as well that Johnny loves. You You gotta get get, a two-four when you go. Oh yeah, (laughs) two-four. A flat. We're gonna start talking in those terms. These are the Dairy Queens and Palisades, the Mayo, Newcastle and Westmount. That's Northwest Edmonton. And of course, the beautifully just redesigned open location in Sherwood Park on Baseline Road. Boy, did they ever do a beautiful job with that shop. That's right through the month of January. Buy one, get one free on six packs of the world-famous DQ sandwiches. And, of course, one of my personal favorites, the Dilly Bars. Going broke on Dilly Bars this month. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get to a point where you end up spending a 1000 bucks on a new freezer so you can have just just the straight-up Dairy Queen freezer. Well, I don't actually have a good answer with regards to why we don't have a dedicated DQ freezer here Mm -hmm. in the studio. I think we're going to need to get that figured out. Uh, I want to introduce you uh, to our next guest in in just a moment, but uh, perhaps she might just do a better job introducing herself. Uh, This is Ashley Wanamaker, as taken from her TikTok. Hi, I'm a professional trend forecaster, and these are my predictions for 2023. This year, it's not for you. It's, in fact, for them. Not sure how to do this trend? Easy. You could just think of anyone who isn't you and do that. It's 2023. Let's bring back the empathy. Have you been doing inner child work? Well, tuck that BB into bed because it's inner angsty teenage time. Let's rage. Up next, did you spend 2022 living more unapologetically? Well, buckle up, baby, because apologizing's back. It's time to listen. We're going to validate. We're going to take responsibility when we've hurt other. This trend is like especially gorgeous for those of us with a fair complexion. Um, just like, yeah, let, let that accountability shine. And of course, we're going to continue to what? To feel those feelings. Emotional regulation is a classic. But this year, we're going to add a little twist. We're going to know that it's important to feel our feelings. And we're also going to know that feelings aren't facts, which leads me to nuance. Black and white thinking, forget it. Nuance is in. We're really looking forward to seeing how this trend shows up uh, within the confines of social media in particular. So, um, you know, do it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Ashley Wanamaker is a registered psychologist. She's an accidental TikTok therapist, TikTok therapist, and founder of the Being Human Club, uh, a feminist mental health center in beautiful Calgary, Alberta. Ashley specializes in working with trauma, anxiety, depression, grief 
eating disorders, and body image concerns, and she's always been a great friend of the show. It's nice to see you again, and I don't think it's too late in the month to wish you a happy new year, is it? No, happy new year. Happy new happy year. Happy to be here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I loved your performance as the professional trend forecaster. I thought you really nailed that one. I like how you chose the only TikTok where I overtly misrepresent myself. <laughs> Yeah, it's a trend forecaster. Yeah, I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, but but I always thought we always think when we're going to use a video to introduce somebody, what will give us the greatest jumping off talking point? And and so there it is. It, uh, you say you, you you no longer living unapologetically. Now is the time to start apologizing. We just had a moment on the show about 15 minutes ago where where a legendary broadcaster Charles Adler looks into the camera on a take that he had on the show last week and and just basically said, "Yeah, I didn't have all the facts. I was wrong." Oh, beautiful yeah. music to my ears. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We need to be doing more of that. Hey, are you the type of person like, I mean, I know that you're, you're a professional counselor and obviously a registered psychologist, but, but can we get into your personal life and, 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 and maybe how you operate when the calendar flips to a new year? Do you make resolutions? Do you use that as a, as a point to evaluate how you've been doing and how you want to be doing and, and how to get there in between? Yes and no. I think I, I love like a fresh start and a new year. Um, I I stay away from resolutions in their traditional form because I think they don't work most of the time. Um, but I think it's important to constantly be reflecting on, you know, how's it going? Do I want things to be different? Do I like how things are going? Um, what's important to me? So I think I do that all the time. I think I do that in my work and my personal life. But I do think the new year is a beautiful uh you know, set reminder to go like, how did that go? Yeah. And what would I like to go differently? Yeah. And what would I like to look like or feel like or be doing or be who would I like to be with or whatever the case may be a year from now? Kind of I think goal setting is important, but but sometimes we can get discouraged, right? We, we set goals, but is, is it fair to say that as human beings, we very rarely achieve them? Maybe maybe that's too much of a maybe that's too much of painting with one brush. I mean, I think that's that's the cliche, right, is that we're a couple weeks, like you said, into January and people are starting to fall off their resolutions. So I think how we define goals are really important. I think that what we tend to do as humans is uh, we're a dramatic group of beings, right? Like we like all or nothing. So we go from not having gone for a walk for a year to being like, I'm running that marathon now. And then we get really upset when we uh, don't do that. <laughs> so I think examining why we're setting some of the intentions or the goals that we are setting is really important. And I think it's one of the biggest things that gets overlooked often. So when you talk to your, uh, what do you say? Patients? Patients? I, I say clients. clients. Patients feels weird to me. It does. Yeah. Okay. So when you're talking power to your, imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, yeah. fair. Um, uh, yeah. Not, more, more contemplative answers. This is a good theme of kicking off our week here <laughs> on Real Talk. Uh, but when you're talking to people about how to set like meaningful and achievable goals, is there like a is there a, a boilerplate process to follow or is it so individualized that it'd be tough to say? Um, I think generally, before we even start talking about how to achieve a goal, I'm always really curious about why you'd like to achieve a goal. So um, unsurprisingly, you know, the the trope of New Year's resolutions often centers around like fitness and weight and, and food. And so when I get people coming into my office and they say, I want to lose weight, um, the first question is always like, okay, why? Uh, why? Wh what does that mean to you? Where does that come from? Because we have all of these factors that influence 
how we see ourselves and where we'd like to go. And so sometimes we have beliefs that uh, we've just, you know, internalized that maybe don't actually resonate with our values or who we are, but that we think we should be doing. Um, and that can be a reason people don't achieve goals. Uh, often we want to get to the meaning of the why because it helps us set out like a more uh, successful path forward to know what's what is the emotion we're trying to feel, what's the meaning we're trying to achieve, rather than focusing just on the surface of the behavior or the like final objective. Hmm. Uh, we uh, it was back on January fourth. Uh, we welcomed a couple of Athabasca University professors uh, to the show, uh, Kristen Roger and, and Heather McLean, and they were talking about Taylor Swift's video in particular, the, the, the one that sort of garnered a lot of attention described as fat phobic. And it was a, a, an interesting conversation. It was one that challenged my understanding of fat phobia and, and, and maybe some of the focuses that we want to have or conversations, bigger ones as, as a society that we want to have. Um, and then just this past Friday in our trash talk feature, uh, we had a letter from a guy, uh, from Johnny K, a real talker who, who sort of took aim at that feature interview and shared his own thoughts on that, uh, sort of unapologetically fit was, was the tone of, of his email. And I hope I'm not unfairly uh, summarizing that. But you specifically reached out to me <laughs> and said that this was something that you wanted to talk about. And you're an expert on this. So what's our angle of approach here? Oh, I have lots of thoughts and feelings about Johnny's message. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the conversation earlier in the week was centered around a Taylor Swift video. So probably fair that, you know, what the purpose of um, fat activism is wasn't discussed thoroughly. Um, but I thought there were so many parts of that that were so interesting when we reflect on and actually good examples of more covert anti-fat bias. Um so I want to start by saying uh, even fat phobia, I want us to be curious about that term, um, because what we're really talking about isn't, you know, a true phobia like we would diagnose. It's not a mental health issue we're talking about. What we're talking about is prejudice and discrimination towards a group of people. Um, so so fat phobia in and of itself is, is a bit misleading. We can talk about anti-fatness or um, anti-fat bias. Um, and the other, the other, I guess, thing off the top of my head that I really wanted to say uh, that I thought was very interesting in this letter in particular was um, fat activists aren't trying to make you fat. Fat activists are making sure that fat people have human rights. So it, that's like a really important thing that I think was missed in that letter that I wanted to highlight. Hmm. Um, because you can hear Johnny getting uh, threatened, perhaps is the right word, to say like, well, I work out and I want to work out. And I, I could be wrong, but in that interview, I didn't hear anybody saying everyone should stop working out. This is so a fair that point. That was an interesting response. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. Um, and, and I appreciate you taking it on when, when you talk about, I mean, you do a lot of work with people, right? I'm working mm -hmm. with like eating disorders and, and body image concerns. And, and I really appreciate you saying, if someone says, well, I want to lose weight, asking why, uh, because you'd probably get a million different answers, right? I mean, mm -hmm. some some of it might be like, I don't know, I just I, I, I want to feel healthier. I want to be a whatever. Uh, but then for a lot of other people, it's probably like a lot of external factors, right? Like, yeah. how, how do you how do you recognize as an individual? What do you say to somebody? Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be weight related. It could be related to any change that somebody wants to make in their life. Uh, how do you understand if that's a change that you're making for, you know, to quote The Bachelor, the right reasons. 
Right. Well, I think, I think with all of these goals, we're often not taught to sit and go like, what do I think? So we have all these beliefs floating around, like, you know, I'm supposed to do this job or I'm supposed to get married or I'm supposed to do all these things. And we often, I think until many of us go to therapy, we don't stop to go like, Oh, what do I think about that? Is that something that actually I feel? Um, And so, you know, trying to gather the information to go sort of, where does this come from? And when we are talking about, um, you know, the answer you you just gave, even if someone says, oh, I want to be healthier, you know, it's like, what does that mean? Because uh, that's probably one of the most common things I hear. And uh, we often as a society, when we're talking about anti-fat bias, we conflate health and being thin. Sure. And actually, those are different things. And actually, health has been co-opted into this idea of like physical health, right? Like when we reference health and wellness, what we're really talking about is, you know, what we put in our bodies and how we move. And that's certainly, you know, in the pie chart of health, that's a that's a slice, but that's not what health means. You know, we're missing emotional health, mental health, social health, sexual health, occupational health, financial health. There's all these other parts of us um, that, get pushed aside and that are that are just as important as physical health and intersecting with physical health so even that question of like i want to be healthier it's like okay what does that mean you know what does that mean we go we go down and down and down to go like what are we saying you know what are we talking about well there's probably grossly there are grossly unhealthy ways to get thin uh sure to state the very obvious uh Mm -hmm. you know i think the the pursuit of thinness uh is probably for some people uh, you know, probably one of the worst things they could do. Um, but again, I don't venture, uh, or I don't, uh, I shouldn't be wading into a conversation on this. I'm not an expert, but just like the, the way that real people talk, I think you're right. You know, there, there certainly is that understanding of, uh, and, and but I, th- I've seen like more conversations, I think open-minded conversations among the general public, including on shows like this, um, about breaking some of those, those notions, that people have held. Do you see it? Like, do you see public attitudes changing from, from your perspective? Sure. Slowly, really slowly. I think we have a lot of work left to do. Um, you know, that letter that we were talking about that was on, on trash talk, uh, which I can't say without hearing your voice of like, I'm not going to do your trash talk voice, but in my head, every I, time I would love to hear it. Like, I would love to hear it. We could, we, could, we could, Johnny could sample it. We could have like a guest. We could have like a guest voiceover that you could do once a month or something. No, I will. I will not take you up on that. Okay, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like so. Thinking about that letter and thinking about how Johnny in, in the letter was like, you know, yeah, let's not body shame. Like, I'm not going to start screaming at people in the street that they're fat, uh, and or I'm going to like defend them if that's happening, which is great news. That's wonderful. Um, and also, that's not the only way that these attitudes negatively affect people. So if we, if we think about even, you know, if we take the word fat out and we, and we insert like race, um, great overt racism of like, you know, being objectively discriminatory towards black people. Um, you know, most people would agree at this point in time, I hope that that's unacceptable and people would stand up and say something. Uh, but we also know that there's all these microaggressions that occur. And we also know that there's all these systemic issues that occur. And so, you know, thinking about how, for example, in healthcare, uh, the use of the BMI, which is truly nonsense and has been proven to be not only nonsense, but rooted in racism, 
Um, so it's not only like a bad predictor of health incomes, it's what most medical practitioners, most physicians are taught in med school and it's still perpetuated. And so if we look at the kind of care that someone who is fat gets versus someone who is in a thin body gets, like, like that's a big issue. That's a big um, concern in terms of harm and in terms of, of health outcomes. So we have to sort of look at, do I think that things are changing? Yes. Do we have loads of work still to do? Yes. And, and you can hear a microaggression actually in that letter when Johnny's saying like, you know, if people want to be fat, they can be fat. But like, I go to the gym every day and it's because of my health history. And, and it's like, that's awesome. We do know, like move your body. We should all be moving our bodies. But the assumption that, um, you know, Johnny isn't fat because he goes to the gym once a day is quite naive, actually, because what we do know is that, you know, between 30 to 80 percent of our weight is determined by genetics. And there's actually lots of research that shows, uh, you know, exercise is a form of, of weight loss doesn't work similar to dieting so does that mean we shouldn't move our bodies no we should totally move our bodies for different reasons um but the assumption that you know johnny is not fat because he is engaging in you know exercise consistently and shows the self-discipline is wrong and is inherently judgmental of saying you know and fat people aren't doing that there's fat people that do ironmans there's fat people that run marathons there's fat people who have infinitely less health problems than i do and i'm you know, in a straight size body. So I think the harm is in those assumptions. And I think we do need to dig down a bit deeper as a society and start really like acknowledging those things so we can change them. Mm. Oh, we're talking about a, a trash talk that ran on, uh, it was uh, Friday the 6th of January, if, if my memory is correct. And then I don't know if you heard Ashley just this last Friday is on Friday the 13th, but there was a follow up to it uh, from a real talker who talked about her own personal experience and, and trying to lose weight, including the gastric sleeve surgery and uh, mm -hmm. and basically her upbringing. She said that, you know, in her mind, the most unhealthy that she's ever been was at 24 years of age when she was 100 pounds. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was a really powerful email. And it's never it's never uh, lost. I mean, I always try to really say it clearly, like spell it out how much it means to us. Uh, when people, I think it takes a great amount of courage to write in, to use your name, and to say, this is my experience, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, we talked about your TikTok following, and you you, you sort of... Uh you, you present yourself as an accidental TikTok therapist, which I love. Your bio on TikTok, you're at Ashley Wanamaker, uh, the TikTok psychologist you need, not the one you want. <laughs> Tell us what that means. Well, um, well, first of all, I, I guess I made a TikTok early in the pandemic truly for my friends uh, and was like, this is fine. No one will ever find it as long as no clients see it. That's a fun thing I did. And then uh, I had some videos go viral, uh, which was so wildly uncomfortable to me. So I feel like uh, millions of views. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was really uncomfortable because I'm really comfortable being, you know, an expert and, and the nature of the work I do isn't about me. It's about you know, the people I work with. And so I'm really comfortable doing that. I'm less comfortable talking about myself. So when when things did go viral, I was like, Oh, God, what have I done? Um, but then tried to leverage that into doing something useful. So what feels useful to me is using that platform to provide mental health information to people who might not otherwise have access. Um, and so the reason that my bio says what it says is that a few of the first videos that went viral was me saying, 
sort of these like unpleasant truths that people don't often want to hear, but that are really important. I think a lot of people think that psychologists are, are just like super nice, understanding people. And certainly being an empathetic, safe human is really important. But a lot of my job is actually telling people things they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. I think that's also my responsibility. And so um, I think that's what people tended to like more is when I was like, I'm going to hurt your feelings a little bit for the for good, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so sort of just, yeah, that that's what my bio explains is uh, me saying things people might not want to hear, but might be important for them to hear. I know that no mental health professional, including yourself, is ever going to suggest that that like, you know, reels on Instagram or or, you know, posts on TikTok will replace therapy. And obviously there's uh, an immense amount of value uh, in therapy. And, and I and I hate to say it, but for people who can afford it or who people who have mm-hmm. access to it or people who have coverage for it. But I do think it's super cool. Um, that for, for all of the ills and, and frustrations and, and kind of the nastiness and gnarliness of social media, uh, that it also provides opportunities to do exactly what you're saying. For somebody to to follow you on, on Instagram or in particular TikTok and every day or every few days get a little blast of wisdom or insight or direction. Uh, it's really cool. And if you think, I mean, again, I know I'm sounding like I'm 95 years old here, but that wasn't even a thing five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And and t- to me, I've been making a real concerted effort lately um, to start following people on my personal accounts that 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 edify me, that encourage me, that educate me. And uh, mm-hmm. and I'm really grateful for it, including yours. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's happening so much more. And I think when COVID happened, it was an interesting time, particularly for like therapists online, because pr- previous to COVID, uh, we're really taught in our training to to not exist online, uh, which seems sort of outrageous now. But it was like, don't be online. Don't let clients see anything about you. We were kind of taught to be these one dimensional like therapists who are only professional, which is problematic for lots of reasons. But then COVID happened and everyone, for lack of a better word, was freaking out. Um, and so I think a lot of therapists felt a duty or a responsibility to help offer some coping strategies for people who might not otherwise have had them. Um, and so now it's sort of the wild west, which I think, I think you're right. I think having, you know, democratizing mental health information is really important. And uh, with that comes a whole bunch of people who might not be held to the same ethical standards appearing online, offering mental health information that is wrong. Like if you notice on my TikTok. Uh, it's unethical for me to offer therapy to people who are not my clients. Even my clients, if they send me, you know, communications on social media, it's like, that is, that is not therapy. That's explicit. I'm not to be diagnosing anybody. So there are also accounts that uh, drive me nuts a little bit because it's offering all this information that then people who might not otherwise have gone through the proper, you know, training or, aren't being held to a standard to protect people uh, are misusing. And so that's, that's sort of the dark side of that, that I, I, I caution people away from. That's such a great point. And I'm thinking of some specific names, but I don't think you nor I are looking to pick fights right now, unless you are. I mean, we can go <laughs> I mean, throw down and I mean, let's go. Uh, how much, how much of your counseling was like, are you, all, by the way, you're, you're sitting in an actual office, right? That's not a fake background behind you. My real office. Look at yeah. it's it's like beautiful. Is is that Thank the uh, is that the the being human club? Is that 
Yes, that's what we're seeing there. Yes. So, uh, you, so you sit with people like I'm, I'm. I'm noticing hand sanitizer on the table and stuff. I'm assuming that this is actually where some of your sessions happen. This is where you sit yep. with people. Um, before COVID, were you a hundred percent in person? During COVID, did you maintain operations uh, at full capacity via Zoom or whatever? And then, where are you now with regards to that balance? Like how? And that must present challenges, by the way, to not be in person with someone. Yeah. Uh- yeah, the start of the pandemic was a wild time. Um, so the start of the pandemic, I would say almost all my sessions were in person, um, which I which I really loved. Um, and then so I went from spending like nine or 10 hours a day with humans in a room uh, to staring at a screen. And uh, I was at a point in my, t- in my career where um, I had just stopped taking new clients on because my practice was probably a little too full. And I was like, okay, here is good. But a lot of the clients I was I was seeing at the time, um, you know, had had were doing really well, so I wouldn't see them as often. And then when the pandemic hit, suddenly like everyone was in crisis, and we were all in the same crisis, which is a weird thing. You're not usually in, you know, the trauma that you're treating <laughs> with people, right? Um, so I went from being with people all day to staring at a screen, like in my condo, this tiny little spare room, and and I felt so tired, and that was shocking to me. We now have research to back up that for for psychologists for therapists for counselors doing this kind of online work can feel more draining um i wasn't allowed to go back to my old office for about three months i had to operate um from my home and so those were wild times uh i was working like ridiculous hours at that point um and then as the pandemic has ebbed and and flowed with with case counts you know, having people come back in, making sure everyone's being safe. I feel very fortunate. Um, I'm immunocompromised. So I, I feel so fortunate that my clients have been so respectful huh. of that. Um, so I have to weigh my personal risk too. But, you know, at, at Being Human Club, we really pride ourselves on having really kept things safe. We still mask in all the common areas. Uh, we have HEPA filters in every single office. We're socially distanced enough. So um really fortunate for the community we've created here and for all of our clients have been so respectful of that. People tend to take their mask off once they come into the office um, and they don't come. We ask that they don't come, obviously, if they have any symptoms. So, um, yeah, so now, I I mean, now it's interesting. Now I would say probably like a 60-40 split, depending. Uh, We're located in downtown. So a lot of people who used to just like, you know, walk on over on their lunch break, uh, people weren't coming downtown as often. Things are changing a bit more now. Um, but some people I think will probably be virtual forever because of convenience or because of safety. Yeah. And I have total respect for that. I kind of love the balance now of having some in person and some virtual. It feels, it feels much better than it did at the start for yeah. sure. Yeah. Is, is counseling changing? Like does, 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 does the, uh, I don't know, what is it? Is it an art or a science? It's both. It's an art and a science. Um, do you, do you see it? Like, have there been impacts on the actual practice of it uh, that you notice? I mean, has, how, how many years have you been doing this? Has, has it changed demonstrably from when you started to where it is now? Um, That's a big question. I don't know if I can answer that. I know that I've been in private practice for six years. I've worked in mental health for, good Lord, probably like over 10 years for sure. Um, the way I practice continues to change and evolve. I One thing that I do notice is that this is, as a trauma therapist, this is all like very intense work. Um, but I think the thing that helped buffer that in person before the pandemic happened was uh, so much of what my job is, is to attune to like pe- what people's bodies are doing. 
um, you know, only like 10% of communication is the, are, are the words that we speak. So, you know, looking at what's not being said, noticing these little like um, expression changes or noticing when people's body language goes like this, it becomes really difficult to, you know, assess that from just like the shoulders up. So uh, it's beautiful to have that. I, it's possible to do without, I think, having good rapport with clients and knowing, you know, really who they are. It, uh, you have to, I think, have that to be able to catch those things virtually. Um, but I think certainly the way I practice when I started even six years ago versus now, I mean, we have more tools certainly to facilitate online. One of the therapies, uh, the interventions that I do is called EMDR, uh, which involves eye movements. I've heard and about this. Oh, it's a wild ride. It's so weird. I always preface it by being like, "This is gonna be weird." <laughs> can you can <laughs> you tell like, us? A, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, I'd love to. So, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, which, full disclosure, I thought was total nonsense when I started, um, and I I would like I was a total jerk about it. I was like, okay, because essentially what we're saying is we go back to traumatic moments, uh, and then we process those by doing these eye movements, which basically your eyes go back and forth like this. It's not hypnosis. A lot of people ask if it's hypnosis and it's not. Um, but in, in the simplest way I can explain it is if we imagine sort of like two sides of the brain, which is not really how the brain works, but for the sake of explanation here, um, we can talk about in traumatic moments, how there's the story of what happened. So the events that happened, and then we have the emotions of what happened. And, and often in traumatic moments, we go into this like fight, flight, freeze response. And when we're in that response, we don't have access to all of the emotions. So in fight, flight, or freeze, we have access to like irritation, anger, numbing out, um, but we can't access all the other things. So when we go back with EMDR, we go back to what happened and then, oh, great, that's a beautiful visualization. Uh, and then we can, it's sort of like fast forward processing the emotion. And it's a wild time because people will be like, like angry and then crying and then laughing and then calm. And like there's all kinds of wild things that happen in the body. And I was so skeptical until I went to the training begrudgingly. And I was like, this is a bunch of nonsense. It's now the gold standard treatment for trauma and a whole host of other things. Yeah. And we have to actually do the EMDR when we go to the training. And so it wasn't until like I had EMDR done to me and I was like quite smug. I was like, I know what this thing's about. I know exactly what it is. Da, 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 da. And then I did it. And of course it was like totally something different. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, I kind of hate that it works so well because it feels hokey, but there's tons of research behind it, but I feel unethical not doing it because it works so fast. Mm. Um, people are processing things so quickly. Um, people who have had like unprocessed trauma for decades. I've used this a lot with like, you know, like ex military people with people who had, you know, developmental childhood trauma, just like, like truly like horrifying experiences that have dictated how their life has gone and then have had it clear in like a matter of months wow. um, and they get their lives back. So I do it all the time. Uh, but I do warn people that like, it's unlike a lot of other therapies and it feels kind of strange. It's a wild ride. Huh. Uh, Nick's watching now live uh, on YouTube. He says that EMDR is working for his two year old. Yeah. Like toddlers yeah. can receive the therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing about, I, I don't work with children that young, but there are EMDR therapists who do. Um, and there's different modalities because, you know, someone who's two might not be able to follow, like we use a light bar. I have a machine over here. I can move it over and show you later, but um, well, like we use a light bar, we use hand buzzies, but there's different ways to do what's called bilateral stimulation, which is essentially stimulating either side of 
the brain to help process. So um, yeah, for children, there's different ways to do it that looks a lot different than in adults. But the beautiful thing about kids is that, you know, a two-year-old doesn't have like this cemented sort of trauma that's dictating how they operate through the world for decades. So it often processes much quicker in children than it would in adults. So I'm happy to hear it. That's so great. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I want to put you in this position. You're going to hate me. That's okay. Dr. Jordan <laughs> Peterson's name has come up in the live uh. chat. Sorry, what do you want me to do? And I have I have a registered psychologist right here live on the show. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious for your take. Speak, get into this as much as you like, or not at all. Sure. Um, But Dr. Peterson, as you know, the the uh, College of Psychologists of Ontario has essentially told him that he needs to to sort of take some social media retraining, or he risks losing his license. And he's clapping back and making a big deal of it, as you would expect he would. And his mm-hmm. legion of ardent followers, his disciples, are are targeting yeah. the college. But the the college has essentially said, like, sorry, like uh, this is, we we said what we meant, we meant what we said, and this is the deal. Um, your thoughts on on the entire scenario and and Dr. Jordan Peterson and whether or not he's fit to have a professional license. I mean, uh, I think that you know people can have different personal opinions and convictions, and I don't think that all mm-hmm. psychologists in Ontario or across Canada are on the same page about everything. Um, have you been paying attention to the story, and what do you make of it? Oh, yes and no. It's so funny. My my partner yesterday was like you should talk about jordan peterson and i was like i'm not giving that man any more attention <laughs> your partner <laughs> then, said you should talk about him on this show yeah he was like you should you should like bring that up because that came up last week okay, and i was well, like good. Uh, Great. but i was like i that, that man oh it hurts my soul uh, i mean here here's what i'll say i i deliberately don't follow jordan peterson for many reasons um but in the context of what's going on with the college right now, that I know about, which really is a very surface understanding of what's going on with him, because I, again, try not to pay attention to him. Um, so I think the criticism is from a lot of his followers that like, and probably from him, is that the college is like censoring him and this is like freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. What, what people don't understand um, is that the college actually exists to protect the public. So that's something unique to the college of psychologists in each province is that they're actually not there to protect us as psychologists, um, which is what like the college of physicians does, right? Like they, they tend to look out for like the physicians college of psychologists is there to protect the public um, because we are in positions of power, that there has to be accountability, that there are ethical codes, that we need to be held to a standard to be sure that we're not hurting people. And that includes how we speak publicly. So like Jordan Peterson is entitled to have whatever thoughts and feelings that he has. And just as I am, he needs to be held accountable to what he's saying publicly. Um, because there are like ethical considerations here that, for example, as I mentioned earlier, like I'm not walking around like diagnosing people uh, because that's unethical and potentially harmful. I have to be really mindful, even though I use humor often, even though, you know, I talk about a wide range of things, even though I have um, opinions that maybe not every psychologist agrees to, I only am allowed to say those things publicly if they are like founded on research and there's Mm -hmm. evidence. Um, I'm a professional. I, people's well-being and lives are put in our hands. So I have to really consider like, how is what I'm saying potentially going to negatively impact people who might be vulnerable to this information? And that's something Jordan Peterson doesn't do. So it's so much less about freedom of speech. It's more about like 
he perpetuates incorrect and harmful personal opinions um, that he does not like dictate our personal opinions. We have a responsibility. If I'm going to say something personal that's not rooted in science, I have to be really clear about like, this is a personal opinion. This is a professional opinion. And I have to be open that it's standard practice that if someone is causing harm, uh, that they first receive training uh, before they potentially lose their license and lose the privileges. This, this job comes with incredible privilege and incredible power and it needs to be used responsibly. So I'm glad the college is doing that. I think that as Peterson does, he's doing a, you know, quite a masterful job of twisting what's actually happening to victimize himself to say, uh, I'm being, you know, I'm being censored, I'm being whatever. And it's like, no, you're being held accountable for what your job entails. And if you don't want to be held accountable to the college, then give up your license and like, come up with a different title for yourself. But Jordan Peterson is not somebody who is speaking ethically or behaving ethically online. And, and there should be accountability for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, uh, Am I making everyone furious? (laughs) No, no. Are you kidding? No, like I I don't. I mean, well, you're probably making Peterson disciples furious, but I'm just like I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling through his his Twitter profile to find something that I saw over the weekend that I just shook my head at. And it looks like he might have actually deleted it. But uh, uh, like it's it's just it's really interesting to see him like now, you know, here he's tweeting about like socialist globalists and he's talking about defunding the CBC and he was taking a run at some prominent uh, Canadian journalists who happen to be women. Um, I I don't think that that's I I mean, happen to be. I say that facetiously Uh, just. Yeah, it's it's just he's a very unique case uh, when it comes to psychologists and how they typically be behave or present themselves publicly but but he's also got Ashley as you know like millions of followers I mean I was making the argument and it's not like it's not a strong argument I acknowledge it's actually kind of a a stupid position to take on the show last week because I was like I was like who even cares if he gets stripped of his professional credentials like he's 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 a a millionaire so many times over he's got this Patreon (laughs) where people were were giving him hundreds of thousands of dollars he's got all these best-selling books he does his speaking tours like he doesn't need like he can just be Jordan Peterson or he can someone I'm, I'm sure that some, you know, like mail in, uh, put the stamp on the paper university somewhere. will give him an honorary doctorate so he can keep being Dr. Jordan Peterson. But I don't think he needs his professional designation to, to maintain this audience that he has. Uh, and I did get some angry emails from big Peterson supporters that were talking about how like who would care. You know, are you kidding me? Who cares about the professional designation? Are you even listening to yourself? I acknowledge I, I was a little bit glib about it, uh, but I do think it's I do think it's safe to say that there's no other i mean if, if you want to call him now you're going to puke in your mouth a little bit when i say this but <laughs> but if you i don't know if you want to call him a mental health professional but that's what a psychologist is and he is yeah. a psychologist so i guess he's a mental health professional um mm-hmm. but but he, he sure is is on an island with regards to his public conduct the things that he said um johnny who does a great job producing this show is just showing us some, some images of, of, of his comments about elliot page he's a uh, quack. the canadian actor he's a uh, quack. you know yeah but he's a quack with like an audience of but i mean millions do your job don't tell people like hey you can beat depression by making your bed and cleaning your room like he just like 12 rules for life it's so simple and he's a quack well ashley okay so that's johnny's opinion ashley is there and now i know you're gonna you're gonna remind us that you just told us that you don't pay much attention to him on purpose so maybe this question's unfair uh but aside from maybe sort of you know you, you can get a sense of what a guy like that is all about 
by how, you know, his public comments, public commentary about him and the reputation that he forges. But like, have you seen examples of just like straight up bad advice? Like, can you think of one off the top of your head where you go, this is one example of why I got no time for this guy? I mean, I think like the sexism and like the transphobia, like I I just think uh, I can't even think of one thing with him. But what I will say is he's an excellent example of like there's different kinds of people that tend to be drawn to this profession in particular. So there's people like myself who um, I feel really strongly about mental health and and I really want to I think people are fascinating and I love like working with people. I think that's an honor to get to like work with people and hear their stories. So it's like very little about me. And and as a, I think a good clinician, we have to constantly be asking ourselves, like, if I'm going to share something that is about myself, like, who is this for? Um, and it, the answer always needs to be if it's in a session, or if it's like publicly speaking, like it has to be like for other people. Um, our goal is to also part of our ethical code is to also educate like the public. So so that that's one kind of person. I think Jordan Peterson is an excellent obje- example of someone who has like big narcissistic traits who probably sought out this profession because he wants to be treated like some kind of guru, right? Because if I think about where his comments tend to come from, he actually like does the opposite of what I just described, which is I think he actively causes harm to people. When he says things, he likes to embolden people who might for several unrelated reasons feel disenfranchised, feel alone, which... I think is why he's so successful. He's managed to monopolize, you know, a subset of like young men who are feeling lost and, you know, isolated and disenfranchised in different ways, which is fair. Um, But then the way that he deals with that is by attacking other arguably more marginalized groups of people. Um, and, And it's a lot of like hate and it's a lot of criticism. And I think it's harmful. So he's publicly saying things like that are transphobic, that are sexist, that are, wrong and and hurtful so he's someone who's very dangerous and and there's he's not the only one there's tons of people in this profession who simply want to be like the expert because they want to feel important they want it to be about them they want to feel worshipped by like their followers but but we we shouldn't be conflating that with what actual therapy is and what actual mental health care looks like that's like some weird guru nonsense that's rampant and i think on the rise that's not therapy that's not care that's not health care you can follow ashley wanamaker on tiktok and on instagram at ashley wanamaker and you can find her online at ashleywanamaker.com you can learn more about what she does her collective uh with, along with her colleagues at beinghumanclub.com it's so good to I, we, we kept you longer and i'm looking at the clock and i'm realizing you probably have a session starting in six minutes so we're gonna <laughs> let you go but happy new year thanks for doing this and uh we'll look forward to the next time our paths cross my pleasure thanks so much ryan you got it that's registered psychologist ashley wanamaker you can let us know how this resonated with you love her we, she's she's great so just she's matter of fact yeah. she's smart she's intuitive uh-huh. she's yeah. a great storyteller didn't you know and that was the thing i think people think like i'm mad at jordan peterson because i get so like fired up she handled it calmly yeah but like he just he overcomplicates everything she's so right he just wants to be important rather than helping people which should be first and foremost yeah but you know what man and and i will say this is that you will be you can find hundreds of thousands or millions of people that will tell you that he does or did help them of course 
and that's the thing. Like that's that's the thing that you can't deny. More and of I'm that, not though. saying and I'm not saying that just because somebody has a big audience that their opinions are valid. Like Kanye has a huge audience. Sure. Right? So I'm not saying that that numbers equate uh, you know, uh, professional credibility or helpfulness or anything no. like that. But you cannot deny the fact that Peterson's message resonates with millions of people. Sure, and he's helped people with depression and different things. But did attacking yeah. Elliot Page help people with depression? I mean, that was and anxiety. Bullshit, did attacking right? plus size models do anything to get people out of their homes? That was the SI swimsuit people? edition, yeah, right? Like that yeah. kind of stuff. Do your job. Yeah. Just do your job. Yeah. You can let us know what you think. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Where was this comment I wanted to read from uh, from uh, M. Aitken? She said, basically, uh, she said, like, uh, Peterson remind. I can't find the the, uh, comment, but basically said he's like the he's the same as the people that travel the country selling bottles of like miracle potion or miracle cure. You know, he's like the the traveling medicine shows from back in the day. Snake oil. Snake oil. Like literally. Tip top in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, I was reading actually just the other day. I have this book as I'm doing my purge, as Mm -hmm. I'm doing my uh my minimalism thing and i have this really neat book called why do we say it mm-hmm. and it's just a cool hardcover book and 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 uh you know it's uh, you you go through like the root of our language and our idioms and our expressions sure you know and then the snake <laughs> oil salesman was was a really interesting one ambustion says peterson's a grifter tracy says it sounds like a cult and a lot of people find cults helpful at first as well mm-hmm like i'm not saying he doesn't help people i'm just saying he takes from he's such a quiet he like everything you're saying we've heard before you're not saying it for the first time Uh, you don't need to put it in a book for anyone like yeah yeah. it's just yeah uh, that conversation was presented by the amazing team over at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. And there's a new promo code for 2023. And this is great. This is an opportunity to kind of double down. You remember you used to save 70 bucks off your first bill? You can save 150 now. It's a bundling incentive. You go to parkpower.ca. Super easy to do. And uh, when you sign up, uh, maybe you're looking at natural gas. Maybe you're looking at electricity. Maybe you're looking at internet. It's best, quite frankly, for your bottom line. If you're looking at all three, if you bundle internet, electricity, and natural gas using the promo code REALTALK23, that's realtalk 23 at parkpower.ca, you're going to save 150 bucks off your first bill. That's 50 for the electricity, 50 for the natural gas, and 50 for internet. And of course, when you sign up with Park Power, you're never locked in. So if you find somewhere where you're going to pay less, and, and spoiler alert, you're not going to. But if you do, or for whatever reason, you're moving, you got to go. There's a new circumstance in your life. You will never be penalized. You can always walk away from your agreement with Park Power. We're really proud to partner with them. Again, the promo code Real Talk 23. Every Monday, we look forward to this. Uh, you know, we know that the world can get heavy, and we know that there are things that can frustrate us or uh, outrage, uh, quite frankly, becomes, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, soup du jour, if you will. It looks like everybody's peddling something. They can raise our ire, hitting that anger button like we talked about last week. And then along comes Positive Reflections, presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. These are the silver linings. These are the stories of random acts of kindness and paying it forward. And sometimes they're submitted by real talkers like you. 
to our email. Sometimes you tag us on Twitter with something that resonated. And that was the case this morning. And I'm so grateful that Landy did. She sent me this. Uh, This is just from last night. Did you watch the Critics' Choice Awards on CW? I got to be honest. I have not seen Brendan Fraser's movie, The Whale. Uh, But Brendan Fraser, the actor, you remember him from the Mummy franchise and all that? And, and, And then he had a lot of stuff happen in his personal life, in his professional life. And if you don't know the background, you can go read up on it. But Brendan Fraser is back. And boy, oh boy, from the mountaintop last night, as he accepted his Critics' Choice Award as broadcast on CW, here's a portion of what he had to say. I was in the wilderness, and I probably should have left a trail of breadcrumbs. But you found me, and um, like all the best directors, you merely just showed me where to go to get to where I needed to be. If you, like a guy like Charlie, who I played in this movie, in any way struggle with obesity, or you just feel like you're in a dark sea, I want you to know that if you too can have the strength to just Get to your feet and go to the light. Good things will happen. And a standing ovation. Good night. For Critics' Choice Award winner, Brennan Fraser. How great is that? If you can just get to your feet and go to the light, good things will happen. We hope that you found some light on this morning's episode of Real Talk. If it resonated with you, smash that like button. Share it with your friends. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and our podcast. It means so much to us when you rate and review the shows that we're doing. It's such an honor to join you every single day with conversations that matter. They'll continue tomorrow and through the rest of this week, including on Wednesday, where Dr. Sylvain Charlebois will join us, the food professor. We're going to talk about what's driving the rising cost of groceries in Canada. As mentioned, we'll talk about the opioid crisis coming up on Thursday. And of course, everything else that's happening around the world, we've got eyes on it. If you have feedback you'd like to share with us, you know where to find us. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make it a great Monday, friends, and we'll talk to you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Derlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Ori Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.